I wanted to start this podcast called The Hero Show. And if you go on my blog, for many years ago, there's a little blog post that talks about my, this whole hero concept, like what is a heropreneur? Um, and my idea for the longest time, um, or something that I was really passionate about, was this idea that entrepreneurs are not the villains they're portrayed to be culturally, right? So if you look at pretty much any TV show or any book or any movie, the villain is pretty much always some version of entrepreneur spills oil on ducks for money, right? Like. Yeah. It's some twist on that story, right? And like we were just watching a Free Guy the other day, which is Ryan Reynolds, one of Ryan Reynolds' new movies. Um, and the gist of that story is the video game developer is willing to kill life for money, right? Like it's <laughs> it's always it's always some version of that. And yeah. one of my best friends and I were trying to figure out like why is that a thing? Why is it that culturally the bad guys are always some form of entrepreneur kills ducks for money? Right, and I think the reason is, and I could be wrong on this, this is a working theory, that it's atypical, and atypical stories sell. And because atypical stories sell, um, the in the entrepreneurship space, like your, um, that's what becomes popular in the movies and in the TV shows and in the books, which is what makes up our culture. Right, and so we have this idea in our head that entrepreneurship is bad and they're evil and profit is bad and profit is evil. Yep. And so you get a lot of people like myself and probably you and a lot of other people in the entrepreneurship space that they're trying to do something good and they're struggling with this idea yep. that what they're doing is not actually good, it's bad, right? Because entrepreneurs are bad and profit is bad because that's like culturally inundated in us. And I wanted to shift that discussion to be that like entrepreneurs really, if you actually talk to them the world over, they're the ones who are actively working to change the world and make it a better place, right? And it, all the problems that we face right now in our culture, in a society, in our politics, all of it, they're gonna be solved by entrepreneurs. It's not gonna come from anywhere else. It's only gonna come from entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Million Dollar Equation Podcast, a podcast about the easiest, fastest way to build a million dollar business based on the best-selling book, The Million Dollar Equation. If you love business, each episode reveals all of the core fundamental essentials for growth. Now, here's your host, Rochelle Shaw. Here we go. So, hey, it's your girl, Rochelle Shaw, and I am here again with another one of my besties. I know you say everybody is my best friend, but but truly, um, in this business, in this online space, offline space, I've just met some really amazing people and I wanna make sure that I'm sharing my good friends with you so that you're not out there with the charlatans, right? Because <laughs> there's a yeah, lot of absolutely. people um, that aren't doing really great things that are just there to kind of uh, sell you a login or and hope you never do anything. Or there's a lot of people out there that um, they're great at inspiring, but not great at implementation. So my set of friends are good at both, right? They're both inspirational, but also they're implementers because uh, if you don't implement, right? Ideas make you feel good, but implementation makes you money. So uh, now that we are here, uh, we've got some good stuff with my good friend Richard, uh, as well as uh, after we're done, we've got my message to Devin and um, we'll just have a good time today. But here's who I want you to meet. 
is this dude uh, actually interviewed me, I don't know, five years, six years, seven years. And if it was for the hero show, it would have been maybe two and a half years ago, maybe three. No, it was longer than that. Was it? It was longer than that. Yes. Yes. Um, oh, oh, you're right. I started the hero show. You were one of my first interviews that I did before I even started traveling. So I that yes. that. That interview sat on my hard drive for like two years before I started Push Button Podcast and actually made it a <laughs> do something with it. Wow, wow, wow. So yeah, it was it was way long. It, it had to be closer to five because yeah. I was in uh, my old house. I was still in Las Vegas. But but before we jump into that, my good friend, Richard Matthews. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me. There you go. There you go. Um way before you started traveling you weren't traveling then you were mm. you were in uh a cool house um in menifee california think. yeah and i don't even think you had you had all of your kids yet nope we we were pregnant with our third who is five now so <laughs> it would have been like five years ago there you go and okay. we have a fourth yeah. one that we had on the road um who yeah. you might hear in the background they're playing some sort of game <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome well well tell everybody who you are and then make sure that we get to tell them all about you know what do we mean by on the road <laughs> yeah so my name is richard matthews um and i am um a a husband to a beautiful lady um it's actually her birthday today um we're taking her out to hibachi grill tonight with all of our friends and um father to four so i've got kids ranging from uh, three years old to 12 years old, um, which in a couple of months, it'll be, you know, four to 13, which is weird. I'll have my first teenager. Um, and my um, wife and I took our, sold everything we owned, sold that house actually. Um, actually we were renting it. So it sold from under us. We left and bought an RV and we have been traveling the country since May of 2017. And this, what was it? July was, um, we actually hit our all 48 states in the lower US. Um, so we spent five years traveling the country and we had our fourth baby on the road in Texas. Um, and here I'll, I'll uh, we're actually in a little studio that I built in my RV. So you can see there's an RV shower over there in the backdrop and like our bed behind me there. Um, and I just, I, I built and set up a little studio in here. I've recorded more than 250 podcast interviews on the back of my RV while traveling the country. Um, and so, yeah, like that's, that's, uh, that's me. I run a, I run a company called push button podcasts, um, which Rochelle is familiar with. We actually, uh, um, are the ones who produce your podcast. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's, that's what we do. Gosh, that's awesome. So, so let's, let's, I always like to just really kind of get in the brain of the entrepreneur, right? Cause, cause that's kind of the fun thing, you know, what made you say, was it the, the, selling of the house that made you say okay let's just go on the road or did you already have that plan so it's kind of interesting it's something we've been talking about since like the beginning of our marriage it's like hey at some day at some future point in our lives we'll be rich enough to travel kind of thing um and the idea that we would get there someday was like written down like that it was on our it was on our um our vision board like that we'll eventually be the kind of people that travel um and I was doing crazy things like on Fridays, we would take the day and I wouldn't take the day off 
we would take the day somewhere weird, right? Like we would go to San Diego Zoo and I would see if I could like sit down on one of the park benches and work remotely, right? Instead of working in my office. And we would go to the beach and I would see if I could get my work done during the beach day and that kind of thing. And, you know, five years ago, it was not, it was not easy to work remotely. Um, and, um, you know, it, when we first, um, so, but I, but I've been testing it. I was like testing the waters. Can we make that happen? And, and it was sort of the point where like 4g internet was sort of taking over. Um, and it was like just enough on the cell phone signal that you could like get away with it. Um, and the, um, um, when the house sold like we had you know they're supposed to give you like 60 days they give us like 35 and they were like hey the owners you know they came the uh property manager come it's like hey i have your lease sign i'll bring it over next week to renew your lease for the house um we're like okay cool and then he came back over the next week he was like so here's the news the owners decided they don't want you to renew the lease they're selling the property um so you have 35 days to leave and i was like whoa um i said they're supposed to give you 60 we could have fought it if we wanted to and probably been fine because california is um is pretty nice to renters um but i was like you know we business was at a point where we could we could possibly move it and we didn't have any commitments in that area other than the lease and so if the lease is gone we had nothing holding us there so my i was like one night talking to my wife going what if we do something crazy and instead of looking for another house, which was what we were doing, we were actively looking for another house. What if we take that RV trip we've been talking about? That one that's on the vision board that we were like, maybe someday when we're rich, we'll do it. Um, and we actually, uh, my wife was, you know, scared me to death and said, sure, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, oh no, now we should actually go do it. And so I had a list of RVs to go look at and we packed all our kids up in the car along with some pots and pans and some clothes just in case, um, and left to go look at three different RVs, one in Kansas, um, one in Texas and one in Arizona that fit sort of what we were looking for. Um, and I left without the cash in hand to buy the said RV. Um, and my wife drove and I worked with my laptop on the passenger seat and earned the income to buy the RV on the way to the RVs. Um, and the first one was terrible. Um, the guy lied through his teeth about the condition it was in. Um, and so we were like, oh no, what have we got ourselves into? If all three of these are like this, we're only gonna have like 14 days when we get back to figure something else out. Um, and so we went and visited her family for a week just to you know, be like, hey, it was you know, a random impromptu visit to our, our family instead of this crazy RV thing. You know, so we'd have a, a plausible deniability story about why we traveled around the country right before we're needing to move out of our house. Right. Um, and then we went down to Texas and looked at the second RV and it was perfect. And I, we paid cash for it. It was like, it was like $8,000, something like that, um, where we paid cash. And then we drove it off a lot, got it stuck in their front front yard, put a bunch of forklift holes in the back of it, and then drove it across the country and knocked the air conditioner off it in the first week and a couple other things that went wrong um, and got it all the way back home. And we had 14 days left to go from everything in our house needs to be sold or donated or moved into the RV, renovate everything we can in the RV and then move into it. And we were one day early from our move out date where we moved into our RV and drove it over to my dad's house to get some help on some things and started our, our trip officially. And we've been traveling ever since. That is such a crazy story. There's so much to unpack there. Oh, um, you know, first <laughs> thing is 
that you earn the money on the way. You know, I told you I love implementers and badasses, right? And this dude definitely has it. Uh, is that why you do what you do? So that at any point you can earn what you want to live the life that you want. So I have over the course of my life gotten, I like, I feel like I've gotten to the point now where like when people are, when they ask for advice, I can give them advice because I've had some successes, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, and for whatever reason over the past, I don't know, three or four months, I've had the opportunity to talk to several people who are graduating from college. Um, I'm not sure why that happened, but it was just like in over the course of several work projects, there was like someone who was working on the team who was like, hey, I'm graduating from college this month. Do you have any advice? And the advice that I've been giving to people, and it's something that I've lived my life by since I graduated college, is not to build your life around your career, but to build your life and then figure out how to get your career to support that lifestyle, right? Yeah. It's it's a it's a a flip of that script that we're told that you get your job, right? And then you fit your life to live, you live below your means, right? And everyone's heard that before, live below your means. And I mean, it's good advice, right? It, it, I mean, let me rephrase that. It's solid advice, right? It works. You can always live below your means, but better advice, I think, is to, is to figure out what you want your life to look like and then expand your means to fit that. Yep. Um, and both of those things are possible. And I think the problem a lot of people have is they don't realize that second one is an option. And so yep. they just go with the one that everyone tells them, which is, yep. you know, get a job, live below your means. Right. And that's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's solid advice. It'll, it'll let you live your life. But if you want to design your life, which is what I wanted to do, you have to do it the other way around, design your life first and then build a career and build your, your income and everything to support that, right. Expand your means. Sure. Sure. So now, you know, the question that I know we're going to get asked is, did you already have a list? Did you have to build something while you were in the car? Like, like, how did you earn the $8,000 for this RV? Um, so it was a combination of things. Um, so one of it was I, um, I, I got part of the money as a loan from a, um, someone in my family. Um, and I just, I asked them for, for, I was like, Hey, can I, I get a loan from you? I'll pay back over the course of 12 months. Um, and so part of the money came from that. And then the other part came from client work. So at the time I was doing, um, client marketing development work, um, things, and I had existing customers, um, from the past four or five years I've been in business. And I just called them all up and be like, Hey, here's what I'm up to. I'm trying to buy an RV, right. Yeah. With my family. I didn't tell them I was in the car driving to the RV at the time. But I was like, um, but I was like, I have some ideas on things we can work on um, in your business that I think would be helpful. And I'm just using the RV as an excuse to reach out and basically say, hey, are you open to doing something like this? Because it would be, it's it's a double benefit, right? There's a benefit of like, you're gonna help me get this RV and be part of that story. Um, yeah. And also I have cool things that we can do and here's what those are and here's what the results can be from them. And I got, I signed, um, signed two clients and I set the pricing for those. Um, to pay for the RV that I wanted. Um. Oh, yes. Hell yes. But you know, so often I always talk about in the million dollar equation, right? Um, the the second R in the three R's is reactivation. Like that is such mm. a powerful tool. And so often I, I watch where entrepreneurs are just kind of kind of 
forgetting that they have people that's already paid them before, know yeah. their work and can't wait to pay them again. They're really just waiting for us to present. They're waiting the for an excuse. Yep. Yep. <laughs> They're waiting for us to say, Hey, you know, even um, I get a ton of people who will come to me all the time and say, oh, Michelle, we should work together. And I say, well, what are you thinking? And they have no idea, right? So mine is when I call people, I should say that I've got two ways that we can do that. Yeah, right. that's awesome. And they go, oh, okay, wow, sounds good. So I've already done the thinking for them, which is uh, which is probably my most my most fun way of doing it. So love the philosophy love that so what do so now you get in the rv what is your family saying like what is your wife saying is she still like hell yeah sure or is she like what the fuck have we done so first week yeah. we're definitely both like hell yeah sure let's go for this my kids okay. are loving it um we moved into the rv they're all young i said like i had a six-year-old and a three-year-old and a baby at the time um and we had a puppy um like a brand new puppy because we were nuts. We had a six month old baby and a nine month old puppy. Um, and we moved into a 33 foot RV with no slides. And we we're like, let's sell everything and go on the road. And we were like, you, so the first like week or so we're like, this is cool. But also like, um, I drove the RV over to my dad's house. And like, the first thing we did was break the black tank off of the the back. Cause I was like lifting it up on a thing to work on something else that we needed to do. So we broke that off. And then like the next week we like, uh, overheated the engine on something. And I, I don't even remember. There was so many things that we did wrong over the first like six months, like six months into it. You have to imagine, like we took every single routine we have in our life like everything from how you flush the toilet to like our our three-year-old who could open the bathroom door in our house could no longer open the door in the rv and had to revert like we had regression and potty training because she couldn't get the door open on the bathroom i had to i eventually managed a way to like jerry rig the door but um the grocery stores that you buy your groceries at and the stuff that you do on tuesday night with your family and like everything that you had all your routines just chucked them all out the window um and we had so we went from having like a fairly good routine life of like all the things that we did on a regular basis to like nothing. We had no routines for anything. So we had to rebuild our bedtime routines and our bathroom routines and our grocery store routines and our work routines and everything around this new lifestyle. Um, so the first six months, With a baby, not gonna lie, a puppy, and a, puppy. a three-year-old and a six-year-old. A seven and seven-year-old, yeah. Um, was crazy and it was definitely difficult and like i said the, the first three or four months we were like wtf did we just do like yeah. are we going to survive this yeah. um and we gave ourselves we were like hey we'll give ourselves six months if we don't like it we can always go back and rent another house it's not like we've ended our lives or something <laughs> and there's always houses for rent um and but we got to six months in we got over that first sort of like hump um, and we started to have routines for everything and we started to figure out like how you plan your travels and how you, how you get groceries at grocery stores that you're not familiar with and all the other sort of like little things you don't think about when you're like, I'm going to, you know, overturn my life. Um, and we, we were, we were bit by the bug. Um, and like I said, five years later, we're still traveling and we're in the process now. I actually, my background on my computer is a, uh, is a sailboat that we're looking at. Um, cause we are looking at going from the RV life to moving on to a sailboat, learning to sail, and then doing the port to port around the world thing. Um, and so, yeah. And we ask my, ask my kids all the time. We're like, are you guys done? Do you guys want to stop? Cause if you want to stop and stay in one spot instead of travel, we will. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah. all of them are like, 
no. Like, we want to keep going. Why would you stop? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because so. that's, that's life to them. You know, it's, it, it's yeah, yeah. so... Um... My, my littlest okay. one um, yeah. was we were at a friend of ours' house a couple of months ago. And she's over at their house and she's just looking at him and she goes, why doesn't your house have wheels? Like, what if you want to move? Like, how do you move when you want to move? Because she was born on the road and she's she's like, she's never had what we call in the RV community a sticks and bricks house. Yeah. Right. Um, so she was like confused and she didn't understand. She's like, what if it gets cold? Like, what if you want to leave? Like, you can't you can't just go somewhere else. Your house is stuck to the ground. I don't get it. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Oh, I love it. I love Well, it's kind of like, you know, Devin, when she was, I think she was in like second or third grade. She was, um, she came home and she was all upset. And I said, what's the matter? And she said, Sebastian. I said, well, what about Sebastian? She goes, he doesn't have a passport. How in the world does he not have a passport, right? And I'm like, he doesn't have a passport. Okay, you know, not everybody, everybody has, has a passport. passport. You know, <laughs> she's, what? How does that work? Like, what happens when they want to go out of the country? I go, they don't. What? <laughs> <laughs> like, she was just so confused. So they, they were yeah. teasing her um, the other day saying, you know, if a, if uh, when she starts dating, so she hasn't yet, you know, she's 16 and she's like chomping at the bit though, but she also knows it's going to be rough uh, because, you know, where are they going to take her? Yeah, that's actually something I've been concerned about because like my son's 13. So he's like getting to the point where like, if you mention a certain girl's name, he blushes a little bit, that kind of thing. Um, and, and I'm like, I'm like, how is he going to find a girl that will keep his interest when yeah. he's as well traveled and as well like like he's been all over the place and well cultured as he is like the kid eats stuff from all over the world um and he's been all over the place he's got friends all over the country um and i was like if we if we actually succeed at this whole sailboat thing he'll have been all over the world by the time he's 20 um and i was like I feel like like we're giving them several advantages in life, but also like this disadvantage of like, how do you find someone that's going to keep your interest? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. It's just, a, you know, it's a parent fear. You know, I want grandkids. <laughs> As we all have this parent fear, right? Is, is have I spoiled her uh, to be able to like really have, have like conversations or, you know, I, I I, I was telling her about a story of a of a cute boy I met in middle school, I think it was. And I went to his house and they had a a uh, what do you call that? They they had a the other <laughs> look in front of their door they had the one that you that you open so that you a screen door. Screen door, yep. And I was like, what is that? And they were like, well, it's a screen door, right? And I go, well, why would you use that? And they go, oh, well, so that fresh air can come in, you know, and you can, and the the flies won't come the bugs in. bugs stay out. I'm like, yeah. Like, I was just so confused about them um, because at our house, we didn't have a screen door. And it was a, you know, it, it just was, it just was different. So, um, 
it should be interesting. We'll have to we'll have to do this ten years from now and see how our see how the kids are, see how the kids are doing. Yeah, <laughs> how our kids are doing. But there's um. I was having my first kid at that age. That's weird to think about. It's like right. It's like ten years from now, I might have I might be a granddad. Right. Like what? What? It's like oh, I don't know. I'm not ready. So um, yeah, I shouldn't I shouldn't think about that too hard. I think it's making gray hairs pop out of my head. <laughs> You know, we'll, we'll hide, we'll hide some. Tell me about, um, did you always know you were going to be an entrepreneur? So I don't know if I always knew, but I remember very specifically my first um, realization that I had to take advice from different places, right? So um, my dad comes home from work one day. I was somewhere between nine and 11 years old. I can't remember exactly when, but he has a copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad um, that one of his friends from work gave him with a little note on it that said, your son would probably like this. And so it was a little post-it note that said, Richard would like this book. And so my dad brought it home and gave it to me. Um, and I read that entire book cover to cover nine times in two days. Um, and like, I didn't sleep kind of thing. It was one of those, like my mom had to come in and, and tell me to turn the flashlight off under the bed sheets. Um, cause I read the book so many times. Um, and, um, I proceeded from that point forward to convince my parents, I no longer needed to go to daycare after school. They should drop, have me dropped off at Barnes and Noble. And so I started getting dropped off at Barnes and Noble after school. Um, and I would go into the business and marketing section and read every book that they had there. And I would be the kid that was sitting on the when they back when they had couches I don't know if they still do um but I would I would have a stack of books that would just be sitting on on a little couch and I would just read the books and I had four hours a day or so after school that my parents would come and pick me up and read every book I could possibly get my hands on because I was like I was too broke to buy the books but they would let me sit in their couches and read them so I I read them as as I could um and I remember there's a couple of things. So I started my first business in at 13 as a freshman in high school. I convinced my dad to give me a loan for 50 bucks um, to go and, and a car ride over to Smart and Final, which is like a miniature version of Costco. Um, that's only in the Southwest. So for your audience who's not out there, but anyways, Smart and Final and buy a bunch of like big candy bars, like the stuff you can't get at the, the, uh, the, um, the school vending machines or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I bought $50 worth of that candy. And I, you know, like the, uh, the, the guy with his trench coat in New York was like showing my wares kind of thing. Would you like to buy my big candy? Um, and, um, and so I was selling candy out of my backpack. Um, and, um, I made roughly $1,500 in sales, um, before I had, I tell people my first government shutdown, uh, because the, uh, because the powers that be told, came by and told me I wasn't allowed to sell on campus without a business license. And I was too young to have a business license, so I couldn't sell on campus anymore. But um, despite my first government shutdown, I did learn a couple of really important things. One of them was my my first lesson in the understanding between like profit and margin and that kind of stuff. Because I was like, I made $200 in sales on my first thing. And then I had to pay my dad the loan back. And then I had to buy more candy again. And so I was like, I sold $200 worth of product and I only had $100 in my pocket. And I was like, I, what happened? <laughs> and, and I remember 
I remember asking my dad and my dad had to explain profit to me. Um, and you know, he's, he's a, he's not an entrepreneur. So it was not like a high level, like description of it. He was just like, you have costs. And so anyways, I had my first sort of thing and I started, um, picking up books that were talking about like what profit and margin and stuff were. Cause now that I knew what those words were, I had to like learn how, what they meant. So I learned that stuff at 13 years old. Um, and then when we had like, like our, um, what's the thing called, uh, Renaissance fair, um, we could sign up for the booths and like which booth you wanted to run and like everyone was signing up for like you know they wanted to be the winch or they wanted to you know run the uh the falconry one or they wanted to run whatever and i was like i want to run the water booth because everybody needs water and i was like i had to we had to um you know you go to costco and buy a couple hundred dollars worth of water and you show up and you sell them for a dollar a pop i made like a thousand bucks at the rent fair and all my friends were like i got an a and i'm like i got a thousand bucks um, so that was me in high school and if you go back into my high school yearbook one of the things you know they have the most likely to be um one of mine was most likely to be a millionaire um from my friends um which is not true yet but um, it, it is, uh, <laughs> it's, it's always sort of been a thing that I've been interested in um, entrepreneurship. Um, anyways, to sort of close that point off, I remember um, being 15 years old and um, we lived in the part of town that was right next to the rich part of town. So it was like our area was like the upper middle class area. And then there was the rich town, the rich part of town, which was like the kids who drove their dad's Lambos to school and got to park in the chained off part of the school and their dads took the helicopter to work, those people right um and we would we would drive through their neighborhood because my you know, my dad and i like to look at the houses because they were cool and anytime they had open houses we'd go in and look at them and whatnot because you know they're cool mansions and i remember i was like i told my dad i was like by the time i'm 30 years old i'll be able to afford one of those houses and my dad looked at me and he goes don't get your hopes up son and i remember at that moment i was like oh i can't listen to my dad about business advice like there's a lot of things I can listen to my dad for. He's an excellent man um, and we have a great relationship. But I remember thinking at that point, I was like, I have to have a different mentor in business because I can't listen to him if he's going to tell me not to get my hopes up. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, and yeah. so I picked different mentors in that area. And then I had, you know, I had mentors for certain things in certain areas, um, 10 to 15 year, <laughs> your age. Where I was like, there's something different about me that I'm not really employable. I got fired from my first job because I'm a terrible employee. Like just the worst. Yep, yep, yep. All of those things. It's it's so funny because every story that you told, like, it's like, yeah, yeah. I didn't do the. I was. I'm. I'm kind of sad that I didn't do the candy thing though in high school. Like, I don't know. Like that. That wasn't my thing. But my aunt told me at 12. She said, "You're gonna be a millionaire." You know, because I told her, "I'm gonna own a million dollar business," and she's like good for you. I know you are right. Uh, my mother, my mother, love my mother. Right. But, um, I feel like our parents just like with, just like when we were talking about earlier about our kids, right. Are they going to be able to find somebody that keeps, keeps their interest because we've given them all of these things is the same thing. She was like, I've never seen it happen. So I don't want you to be disappointed Rochelle. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's their way of protecting us. And we rebel entrepreneurs see it as you don't believe in me right now. Um, well, I did, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, even at my telephone company, the last person that switched was my mother. And it was after I bought her a house. <laughs> 
And it was like, hi, <laughs> and installed the telephone service in her house, then she had to switch, right? But it was, it was, it was definitely um, some, some fun. Uh, my uh, high school yearbook said uh, most likely to, to be bald. I don't know where that came from. Uh, <laughs> and maybe that's why I wore my hair exactly the same for 35 years. <laughs> exactly the same. Like, like, look at it. Right. Not bald. <laughs> Come on, people. Yeah. At any picture you go, yeah, that's Rochelle, because I look exactly the same, except for sometimes there's there's more cheeks there, you know, so you can see. The uh, I'm getting more wrinkles. <laughs> and a couple more wrinkles and a couple of lines of here. And, uh, I and think the smile color. lines are worth it, though, right? The smile lines mean you've lived a, good, lived a good life. Absolutely. So that's why I just always smile super hard. But I but I love the um, the definite different stories where you learn you know, this is how it works because I think that that's really what entrepreneurship is. Um, I meet so many folks that focus on, I need to learn more. And it's like, well, actually, no, you just need to do more. Uh, yeah. I used to spend my time at Barnes and Noble, not when I was, I didn't until I got to college and realized that this is the dumbest thing I'd ever done in my whole life is you know, come to UCLA, everybody's like all impressed. And I'm like, really? Why are we impressed? It's old. I have to walk so far and I'm learning about stuff that happened in 1600. Who gives a fuck? Like that was just like, I was just total rebel. Um, funny story. Uh, <laughs> And that now I have a picture in cap and gown. Um, I have pictures from the graduation. It's still mm -hmm. not on the wall because the last two classes I took, I took in summer school. And uh, at the end they were like, oh yeah, no, you have to take them in regular session at UCLA. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And so I've been fighting with them all this time because I took them in summer. I'm like, I'm not gonna go back to regular school. No, you get not a dollar from me. Oh, well. So I gave them the finger and they gave me the finger, I guess. And we, and we moved on. So thank you so much for listening to my passion project and the Million Dollar Equation podcast. What you're hearing, if you like it, I love it. <laughs> so click the subscribe button to get each week your new favorite episode. Tell me, tell everybody, um, who is your absolute favorite client of all time? So I always go, you know, don't tell me your ideal client because that's, that's who cares about them. Tell me about your favorite client and what makes them your favorite client. Am I allowed to have you as my favorite client? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, it's okay. I'm going to stay with you anyway. So you don't have to pick me unless I truly am your favorite client. And you have to give reasons why I'm your favorite if I'm your favorite. So there's it's an interesting question because like my business has evolved a lot over the years and so like depending on like when we're talking about like what like what i was doing at the time i have different areas where like i had a favorite client okay so um, but so I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you tell you 
two of them. One is for my business now, and then one is from a few years ago. I worked um, in 2012. I decided to um, shut down my local marketing agency. I was working with small businesses. Um, and the reason was because, not because I wasn't good at it. Um, I wasn't good at the business side of running my own business, right? I was, I was good at doing the work that needed to get done. Right. The whole the what is that that whole e-myth kind of thing. I, I could do the work, um, but then the actual being in business and marketing yourself and, and, you know, taking care of your profit and you're doing your accounting and making sure that you were both doing the work and doing the marketing of the things so you could have more work when this work was finished, like all of the things other than doing the work I was bad at. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I realized I realized that about myself. Um, and so I was like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take everything that I'm doing for other clients and I'm going to see if I can find a high level corporate client that I could do the same type of work for, um, so that I can just really hone my craft and get good at it and not have to worry about the business side. So I, I like just, it was December 28th, 2012. And I told my wife and my best friend at the time, I was like, I'm shutting the business down and I fired all of my clients, which is. Um, and I let them know that I was going to do that. And I was like, we got about four weeks left. Um, and then I'm, I'm, I'm done. I, I, um, so I won't be, I won't be working with you anymore on these things. Um, and, um, I set out to get a director of marketing position, um, at a company that was, um, doing, uh, at least $10 million or more a year. That's what I wanted. I was like, I want to be a director of marketing for someone, but like I wanted to have at least a hundred thousand dollar a month marketing budget to play with. Um, and I was like, that's just what I wanted to do. So I could hone my craft by February 4th of 2013. Um, I had a six figure plus, um, plus five figure bonus commission stuff and work from home position for a um, a $25 million company and a $125,000 month marketing budget to play with. Um, and I, I beat out to get that job 250 other applicants because I play the game differently um, than other people play the game. And um, I remember my my boss there, I'm going to, is, is the weird where this is coming from. He was my, my favorite client because I didn't, I didn't treat them like I was an employee. I treated them like they were my only client. That right. makes sense? Yeah. Um, and so I was an employee technically, but in my head, I was, they were my only client and I was just working with them exclusively for a big, a big giant fat paycheck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, he told me when I, when he got my cover letter, cause I didn't submit a resume. I just submitted a book with a cover letter on it. And I was like, you need to interview me and here's why. Um, and I gave him like a book with little things all in it. And I, I delivered it um, via a FedEx package that was put right on their desk. Uh, on his desk that he read over an airplane trip. And he was like, when I got your book and all the notes that were in it on our public facing marketing, he was like, you were hired on the spot. I just had to go through the whole, like they had to do a three, three segment interview because it was a high level position. Sure. Um, and, he, and, and I remember I went into their office um, and acted like a customer and saw like who the people were. And I found out what they dressed like. And when I showed up the interview, I was dressed the same way that he was in essentially their uniform minus the logos. But I went out and bought clothes that matched their uniform. Um, and everyone else that was there for the interviews, it was like dressed to the nines, right? They're wearing their tuxes and their business suits and all the other things. And I was just dressed like they were dressed. Um, and so I showed up and then I had, I spent four weeks going through every single public marketing thing that they had available um, and essentially tore it all down. I was like, here's all the problems with it. 
And then I built a plan on like, here's how we can fix all of these things with like dates and times and to do dates and all those, all those kind of things. And I showed up the interview and then, you know, that he starts the interview process, you know, like what's your weakness and what's your strength. And I was like, can we skip all the stupid questions? And I dropped this like 40 page document on his desk. And I was like, I brought a marketing plan to fix the problems that you have. Um, and then we spent three and a half interview or hours in that interview and he had to um, reschedule all the other interviews that were after me because it was only supposed to be a 30 minute interview but he spent three and a half hours with me and we went through the whole plan and at the end he was like can I keep this and I was like nope that's mine if you want to if you want to see it again you'll have to hire me so they brought me back for a second interview and then the second interview um, the uh, like I had a I had all sorts of insider information now um, so I, I went to work and over the next couple of weeks I fixed all of the problems with a live ready to go solution. Um, and the second interview was with the executive team, the C-suite. Um, and the president of the company was there and the CEO of the company was there and like the legal director and the finance director and all these people were all there. And they did the same thing. They like start the interview off, the typical interview of like, let's ask you ask these stupid questions. I don't even know what they are because they piss me off. But um, I was like, can we pause on those? Let me show you what I built for you over the last couple of weeks. And I was like, because of all these things I learned from the president of the company in the last interview, I solved all of these problems for you. And I just want to walk them through you through these solutions. Um, and so I walked him through all of those and the CEO stops me about halfway through. And he's like, how long would it take you if we hired you to have all of this done? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, like, how long would it take you to do this? And I was like, this is done. I'm showing you finished work product. I finished it already. If you hire me, I just turn it on. <laughs> right. Um, and he stops the interview at that point. He goes, okay, so you're probably worth more than we're asking for this position. What do you want? <laughs> um, and that's where I, I had another stack of documents that I was like, so this position has a salary range from 60,000 to 250,000. And I showed him all the glass door documentation from one to the other. And I was like, so your, your offer on this position was 60,000, which probably just means you were looking at, hey, here's the bottom of the pile. It's what you want. And I was like, I'm probably not a $60,000 a year employee. Um, and I was like, but I'm also probably not a $250,000 a year employee. So what do you think it should be? And they offered me, they offered me a hundred thousand dollars a year plus thirty thousand dollars a year in performance based um, bonuses. And I was like, that's all well and good. I also want to work from home. I'll come in once a week for the C level meetings. And so I got work from home from it. And the other thing that I asked them for was um, to pay me for my time. Um, I wanted a starting bonus of my first month's salary because I put a lot of work into getting the job. I was like, listen, everyone else is just sending out resumes. I wanted this job. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I spent the last four weeks building all of this stuff that you saw. So I want a signing bonus that is equal to the first month's salary. Absolutely. So they gave me my first month's salary. They gave me six figures. They gave me um, the $30,000 a year bonus for hitting performance metrics. Um, I got my work from home stuff. And then I spent the next 18 months working with them and learning what it was like to work with a big company that had big budgets. Um, and we took that company from $10 million to $50 million. And I took them from uh, um, 10 leads a month to over hundred leads a month. Um, and so we 10X their lead flow in that company and I helped them restructure their sales team. I helped them restructure their commercial sales for some of the really cool shit that they did. I learned a shit ton from them um, and learned a lot about running a company from both the CEO and the president of the company because I got to sit with them every single week and learn how they were running a big company um, from not the delivery side, but like the running a company side. Uh, 
And because I didn't deliver the product, that wasn't my job. My job was just help the marketing, but I got to watch them. Um, and like every question that I had about running a company and hiring employees and doing staff, I asked them all my questions and they answered all of them because I was doing a fucking good job for them. So, right. Um, right. the, um, and so I got, I got essentially paid to get mentored, um, for a couple of years. Um, and then, um, at 18 months or sorry, it was 15 months in, I was like, I'm going to quit and I'm going to start my business back up again. And I was like, instead of giving you two weeks, I'm going to do a, basically three months notice. Um, so I worked with him for three more months and I was like, I want to help you hire and find and train the person to, that's going to replace me. Um, so that we can have a nice smooth transition for it. Um, and, um, so we did that and I took, it took us a couple of months to find someone and another month to train them and everything. And they took over. Um, but that was, it was a really fascinating experience. Um, and probably one of my favorite client experiences because it's very different, um, both for me. And then you don't hear stories like that a lot of times in the entrepreneurship space is like, you know, you just have to do it yourself. Right. Um, or, you know, be out on your own. And sometimes taking the corporate route is really helpful. Um, and they did actually come back and become a consulting client of mine later. Um, but I went on to, um, I took a couple of clients after that. Um, and like my first client that I had after that, I took him from $24,000 a year in sales to a quarter million dollars in sales. My second client um, paid me 500 bucks and I made him half a million dollars in two weeks. Um, which I learned that I needed to work on charging better prices after that. But anyways, it was, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so it was, it was interesting. It was, it was, that was probably my favorite, my favorite client that I had, um, was this big company, um, which is weird because I was not, they weren't, they technically weren't a client, but you know, it's in terms of like impact on me yeah. and impact on my growth. That was probably my, my favorite. I would consider them a client though. I mean, I, yeah. I consider everybody and even the, you know, the horrible experience I had. Well, well, I actually got fired, which is the funniest thing. Um, right before the pandemic, uh, I had just come off the road, 18 months of every week being in a different city, selling a product, right? Where I really kind of honed my sales skills um, and selling from stage and, and doing three-day events and just crushing it, right? We were doing... 400,000 a weekend, you know, 150,000 to 400,000 a weekend. That's um, amazing. It was lots of fun. <laughs> lots of fun. I get it. Like that probably was my favorite kind of experience. But, but then uh, after that, it was, um, I said, you know what? I, I really do like sales. I'm really good at it. I can pretty much sell ice to Eskimos. You know, let me just go and and, and I called an old friend. And I was like, hey, um, I love this magazine. I want to work there. Show me what to do. And he's like, you, you're joking, right? I go, no, no, no. I really want to work there. Uh, long story short, um, they really didn't want me to work there. <laughs> you know, um, they wanted me to cold call people. And I'm like, that's dumb. Who does that? Who still does that? Like, you're joking, right? They're like, no. So I led the team in sales every single month, not doing what they do. Uh, we went into the pandemic, not doing what they do. I, I'm just trying to do it. I mean, it was like 40 grand, right? Plus commission. I, it, it was it was no money, but I just wanted to just see 
And then um, they fired me because I did my money hunting segment. They said, you know, oh, well, you were on TV. Well, I was on TV when you hired me. Like, what are you talking about? So I said, okay, no worries. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then uh, my last, the client that I just had immediately after that, well, kind of concurrently, right? Right. Uh, took them from what they do in a year to what now they do it a month. That's awesome. Yeah, in two years, yeah. they were on the uh, Inc. 5000. We were number 951. Uh, so it's such a blessing. I was trying to do that at the magazine, but... They wouldn't um, let you? Yeah. They didn't, they didn't yeah. want me to be great. So that was my, now I'm just like... My, hey, uh, my corporate experience, one of the things that like really bothered me working there... So there's two things. One, my boss kept telling me, he was like the, the president of the company. He was like, I don't, he's like, I don't get you. He's like, I wish I could duplicate you. He's like, cause you, you get more work done than 10 of my other employees combined. Right. Um, and I was like, well, part of that's cause I'm, I don't treat you like, like an employee. Like as far as I'm concerned, you're my client, this, right? Yep. This relationship. Um, and like, I, I wasn't particularly interested in them because they were other thing that was really interesting was how much bureaucracy there is in every decision um, because like we would come out with like uh, had a, a marketing program that we wanted to run and you know the legal team and the finance team and the construction team and everyone has to say their get their say on whether or not we should do it and I'm like listen the legal team should only be able to say like is what we're saying legal yes or no not a stamp of approval on whether or not we can do it and the finance team should be saying can we afford this program yes or no not because you guys aren't marketers like you don't know right. how to talk to the market and we do right. Right? right and so it was it was interesting that they had they had that sort of like everyone on the on all the different c-level teams had to put their stamp of approval on it and it was really difficult having to fight through getting a lot of things done and i was like we 10x their lead flow um but they like that was despite the yes. bureaucracy yeah and i, re I remember <laughs> they hired they hired me later as a consultant and as a consultant, they paid me like five times as much as they were when they had me on staff. Right. Um, and then when I would tell them what to do, they would just do it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> right. Uh, of course. Yeah. And, and get better results for it and everything. But the, uh, um, anyways, that's, you know, the things, you, things that you learn when you were working for companies like that, just like, there's, I don't know, it, it was an, it was an interesting, valuable experience one way or the other. Absolutely. And it reminds you why we do what we do now. So please, you know, you are my, my wonderful uh, producer. Um, tell everybody about Push Button Podcast. Yeah. So that actually goes back to the story where we started, like how we interviewed you, right? So yeah. um, I wanted to start this podcast called The Hero Show. And if you go on my blog, for many years ago, there's a little blog post that talks about my, this whole hero concept, like what is a heropreneur? Um, and my idea for the longest time, um, or something that I was really passionate about was this idea that entrepreneurs are not the villains they're portrayed to be culturally, right? So if you look at pretty much any TV show or any book or any movie, the villain is pretty much always some version of entrepreneur spills oil on ducks for money, 
right? Like yeah. Yeah. it's some twist on that story, right? And like we were just watching a free guy the other day, which is Ryan Reynolds, one of Ryan Reynolds new movies. Um, and the gist of that story is the video game developer is willing to kill life for money, right? Like it's, <laughs> it's always, it's always some version of that. And yeah. one of my best friends and I were trying to figure out like, why is that a thing? Why is it that culturally the bad guys are always some form of entrepreneur kills ducks for money? Right. And I think the reason is, and I could be wrong on this, this is a working theory, that it's atypical and atypical stories sell. And because atypical stories sell, um, the in the entrepreneurship space, like your um it, it, that's what becomes popular in the movies and in the TV shows and in the books, which is what makes up our culture. Right. And so we have this idea in our head that entrepreneurship is bad and they're evil and profit is bad and profit is evil. Yeah. And so you get a lot of people like myself and probably you and a lot of other people in the entrepreneurship space that they're trying to do something good and they're struggling with this idea yeah. that what they're doing is not actually good. It's bad, right? Because entrepreneurs are bad and profit is bad because that's like culturally inundated in us. And I wanted to shift that discussion to be that like entrepreneurs really, if you actually talk to them the world over, they're the ones who are actively working to change the world and make it a better place, right? And it, all the problems that we face right now in our culture, in a society, in our politics, all of it, they're gonna be solved by entrepreneurs. It's not gonna come from anywhere else. It's only gonna come from entrepreneurship. Um, and, and I want more people to know that and understand that. So I started this podcast called The Hero Show. And I interviewed eight people. You were one of them, I believe. Um, and I got them all interviewed and I was really excited about it. And then, you know, you hit the stop record button off the interview and you realize that like the fun part was done, like the interviewing of your guests and telling the stories and doing this part, right? This part that makes you smile and giggle and have a good time and tell good stories and the human connection and all that. And then the work starts, right? You hit stop record and then all the work starts and you have to edit the videos and you have to edit the audios and you have to put on the commercials and you have to do the interstitials and you have to make all the derivative content and you have to do all the writing you have to do all the social media stuff and you have to do all the publishing and uploading and managing the files and all the other things that go into it the transcriptions if you want to do it right and i was like if i'm going to do it i'm going to do it right right um and so i get through all of that and i made it through three episodes before i was like i'm going to starve because <laughs> this is taking so much of my time that like i'm not actually delivering product that's going to make me money right like it's not it's just it's it's podcasting is fantastic for growing your business and it's fantastic for doing the content marketing stuff but also it takes a lot of freaking time like a 45 minute interview can be anywhere from 8 to 15 hours worth of work on the other side so i made it through three episodes and i was new at it so it was like 45 hours of work to get these three episodes published all over the place um, and I was like, that's my entire, my entire work week plus some to get these episodes out. And I didn't do any of the work that needed to go into it. So I shelved the podcast. So from 2017 to 2019, those episodes, the other five just sat on my hard drive, um, waiting for, um, some magical moment when I would magically have a lot more time and ability to make it happen. I go to a mastermind with several of my, uh, very successful, um, business friends and the run, the person who's running the mastermind pulls me aside after all of this stuff that we're talking about all the things we're doing he's like you're your own worst nightmare and i was like what do you mean and he goes you need to hire someone to do this that and the other thing in your business because you're trying to do all these things yourself and he's like you're never going to grow past where you are now if you don't start hiring staff um and i was like 
I can't afford to hire staff because um, because I don't have the money to do that. He's like, you don't understand. He's like, when you get back, hire this person for this job for this much money. And I, he was like, don't ask questions. Don't think about it. Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> and and I was like, I can't, I can't. And I remember I vacillated on that, right? You know, wringing your hands for, for three months where I was like, fine, I'll do it. I'll just hire this person for that much money for these. And he was like, not for project work. He's like, hire the person full-time in your business, do this. And I was like, I, I just can't. I don't know where the money's going to come from. Um, and I hired that person, uh, bit the bullet and did it. And then that very first month, that person made me more money than I paid to hire him, <laughs> right? Um, because it doubled our work output and you it immediately shifts your perspective because now you're on the other side. And I was like, he was coming at my problem from a perspective of someone who'd already solved it. And I was coming at it from someone who'd never solved it before. So right. I couldn't see the solution staring me in the face. So I got, I got a different solution for it. And then I spent the next year working with this person that now I had on my staff going, what are the kinds of things, right? Because before I had someone on staff, the question I was asking myself is, should I do this work myself or should I hire someone to do it? And the answer that that question always brought back was I should do it myself because it's cheaper, faster, and easier, right? But once I hired someone and had them on staff, the question that I was asking myself is what can I take off of my plate and put on theirs that's going to add value to my clients, right? Yeah. That's a much better question to ask. Much better. <laughs> Much, much better, better question yeah. um, and so we spent the next year developing all of the processes that went into running what is now push button podcasts for my own podcast right to get that out and going and we were doing other client work and other things but part of that the, the work that i was having him do was building all of the processes to make our podcast something that i could do the recordings for and not have to do all the work on the other side they would actually just start getting done in my business and it did. Over the course of that year, we went from having three episodes published to having 50 episodes published. And went back, back to the mastermind and told them what we were doing and showed them all of our processes for my own podcast thing. And they were like, can we buy that from you? And I was like, buy what from me? And they were like, the podcast service. I was like, it's not a service. It's just for my podcast. They were like, no, it's a service. <laughs> and, right. I, and so I got my first client from my mastermind the next year for push button podcast. I actually bought the domain name at the mastermind and set up the web page and set up the checkout page and checked out two of my mastermind members at the mastermind for the service and push button podcast was born. And since then, we have my own podcast has just crossed 250 episodes that we published or so. Um, we're getting close to that anyways. Um, at least we've recorded that many. I don't know if they're all published yet. Um, and um, we've published more than a thousand episodes for our clients. I'd have to actually do a count on it, but all over the place. And the best part is that is like for my own podcast, I have done nothing, not a single bit of work for my podcast, including booking the guests, including any, anything that happens after stop record button. The only thing I do for my podcast is I I show up at the scheduled interview times. I have the time of my life with the coolest people in the world. I hit stop record and my my team for Pushbot and Podcasts takes over everything else. And it's gotten to the point now, because we've been doing it for a couple of years, that I have CEOs of big ass companies reaching out and asking to be on my podcast, right? We just interviewed the CEO of Aweber. I interviewed a, a startup in in a um, in the social media space from Silicon Valley who's got billions of dollars in funding. I got to interview a lady who sells $500 million a month of jewelry. Right. Um, like we have people that are reaching out and asking to be on our show because we've been playing the content game consistently for over the long term. 
Um, and it's, it's really crazy, but the best part of that is like, we're also doing that for our clients now, right? For all the clients, push button podcasts, we're helping them build their content machines where they can just show up and do the fun part, which is deliver their value on either their interviews or on their, their one-on-one shows that they're doing. And we do everything else for them. So anyways, that's how push button podcasts was born. Yes. Well, well, when you pitched that to me. You didn't even pitch it to me. Actually, I read it on your Facebook post and I went, first of all, this is a cool dude. Second of all, um, I love my interview and I, I was sold. I was just like, where get, take my money. And you were like, wait, <laughs> Rochelle, <laughs> wait, no, like, no, just take my money because that's the thing. Like, um, I've always wanted one. I always felt like I had something to say <laughs> and I never knew how all of those other things were going to get done. Um, so that when the solution presented itself, it just was a no brainer. So, uh, if you are out there and have something to say and want everything taken care of for you, you know, he's your dude. Uh, I think we even planned out that, you know, all 52 are like done. Um, I did 15 in. 90 days, 15 episodes, like just, just boom, done. And that we're all out there. got almost 200 downloads of, of just me shooting the shit. It's like, what, what, <laughs> you know what I mean? What? Um, and all, it's so funny in that, um, I see them all going to the pages, hitting the links, all of the content marketing game is there so that I don't have to sit in and go and point and do TikTok stuff and shake and shimmy. Not that I'm not a good shake and shimmier, uh, but I don't have to do it because all of my content is already there and you guys are doing that for me. So um, thank you. I am honored to have you on my podcast. Uh, honored to interview you. Uh, I love your story. I love your beautiful family. Um, gosh, I can't wait to do it again. And uh, we said we're going to come out with one that's all about how to raise entrepreneurial kids. So yeah, at some point uh, that's, we're going to make that happen. I was like, right. both you and I have like a list of things that like, if we got hit by a bus tomorrow, what would we want our kids to know? Right. We're going to eventually put together a podcast saying all of those things. Absolutely. <laughs> Cause you know, at the, at the end of this, I always do my message to Devin. And so, um, we're definitely going to make it happen. Um, any final words? to the audience of how to get shit done and make it the best year of your life. What do you, what would you say to them? Two things. One of them is one of the best pieces of advice I ever got from my dad. He's like, if you wait till you're ready, you'll never do anything. Right. And what I took that to mean and how I use that today in my business is the idea of being what I call a parachute builder, right? Entrepreneurs are the ones who jump off the cliff and they figure out how to build a parachute on the way down. Right. So if you're looking at something in your life, in your business, that you are doing what I was doing, vacillating, right? Thinking about, I can't do this. I'm not sure how it's going to happen. Take the next step, jump off the freaking cliff, take the risk because the process of getting ready involves taking action. You can never be prepared enough to take action. There's no such thing. So if you wait until you are ready, you'll never do anything. Um, so whatever the next thing is, just go and do it right my wife and i are trying to do commercial real estate right now we have no idea how we're going to fund doing the things we're figuring it out we're going to fail right we're going to have problems and we're going to figure it out and have a new set of skills on the other side when we're done 
right? Um, and that's how you grow. So that's the first one. And then the second one is something that I call micro completions, right? And it has to do with um, how you, you know, to your point, get shit done, get shit done quickly. And like a lot of people try to, and I did this for a long time, try to figure out what are the things that I can do, right? I need to do something. I need to fill up my day with tasks. And what I tell people is you don't need to fill your day up with tasks. Tasks. You just need to do the right things um, and, com and complete them, right? So there's, there's, there's several things that go into this, but one of them is put a restriction on the amount of time that you were willing to work during the day, right? So for me, I work four days a week, four hours a day. Go back 10 years ago, I was working 12 hours a day, seven days a week. I make five times more money now than I did then, right? <laughs> um, and so that was an experiment where I was like, what happens if I work six days a week? What happens if I work five days a week? What happens if I work four days a week? What happens if I work, you know, 10 hours a day instead of 12, maybe eight hours a day? What happens if I do six hours a day? And what do you realize is as you put creative restrictions in place, you start to ask yourself better questions and do better work. So that's the first part is put restrictions on the amount of time you're willing to work. Um, and also line your life up that way, right? So you know what your priorities are. My priorities are my kids 100% of the time. So if my priorities are my kids and my calendar doesn't reflect that, they're not my priority, right? right? So your calendar should reflect your priorities. And because my family and my kids are my priority, they have the majority of the time in my calendar, right? And um, so that's the first part, put creative restrictions on what you're doing. And then the second part of that is because you put those creative restrictions in place, it forces you to think in terms of what can I do that's actually gonna move the needle? because I don't have all the time in the world to work on these things. I only have four hours today that I work towards my business. Um, and so I like to break my day up into small segments, like 25 to 30 minute segments, and think to myself, um, what can I take from start to finish and like all the way where it's done in a 25 minute time? And if I can't finish in a 25 minute time, then I've got too big of a task in front of me, right? So I start having to think about how do I break it down into something smaller? Right. Um, and so like just to put this in terms of like I, we've been working on and um, and the back bedroom and the bathroom are all sort of one section and there's a whole front. And I actually um, in just putting it in terms of like micro completions, taking the entire floor out all the way through to the front of the RV is a multi-day project. But just doing the bathroom is not a multi-day project, even though that's all gonna be the same floor, right? So I, I ripped up all the bathroom. It took us about four hours to go from rip all the bathroom, put up all the new floor in, but we cut it all off right at where the next room starts. And um, and actually just sort of, we finished it, which meant putting in tiles that are going to be waste later when we go to finish the other room, because we'll pull out those waste tiles and put in actual full length ones that go and extend into the next room. Um, so when you're talking about micro completions, you're talking about like, you're going to build a little bit of waste into your process so that you can complete something because complete, yeah. completions stack. And if you complete something now and then you complete something in, in the next hour and you complete something an hour after that, and you stack those things together, even if there's a little bit of waste in between those things, because you had to, you know, in, let me put it in marketing terms. If you're, you're doing a couple of email sequences and the last email in the email sequence doesn't have an open loop to start the next email sequence, um, you have to actually like in this, this email sequence in order to complete it and get it loaded, I might have to close that loop and finish the sequence off. 
And then later when I come in to complete the second sequence, I might have to go back and rewrite that last email to open the loop and start the next one, right? So there's a little bit of waste in that process. But what I've done is I've completed something here and then I completed the next thing and I go through and I take care of the waste in the middle. Does that make sense? Yes, and so if you, want, if you want to crush it, stack micro completions. Yep. So those are my two my two uh, pieces of advice. If you wait till you're ready, so you're never I gonna always, do anything. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it twice to other people and give you credit. And the third time, I'm officially gonna own it. You're gonna so, steal it. Yeah, I'm just letting you know that. Though I, I let you I'm know, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> Just so that we can do it, but gosh, man, this has been super duper fun and always just like easy, just shooting the shit, right? Me having conversations with my friends um, that are rock stars. So uh, if you if you want to do a podcast, please go to pushbuttonpodcast.com and meet my friend Richard. Tell him I sent you. All right. Thank you, my friend. Have an amazing day. Hold on, everybody. I'm going to have my message for Devin. One second. Hey you, we are so grateful that you are part of MDE Nation. Are you enjoying this episode? Let me know what you think, especially if you have a question. I would love to answer it personally. You can go to rochelleshaw.com forward slash podcast to get more information about each episode or to be reminded of the MDE weekly assignment and so much more. Go to rochelleshaw.com forward slash podcast. Hey, 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 and we're back. Wasn't Richard amazing? Um, and all of it, if you didn't take notes from there, even for your children, for uh, for if you ever want to get a job, how to get a job, right? Um, he was fantastic. But but uh, this is absolutely for my beautiful Devin. Um, one of the things that I wrote down, um, and this is my message to you, is, is uh, I, I love to just tell people that, you know, or tell her, right, when she was like 10. I used to say, hey, Dev, you know, I've been 10, you've never been 40, right? And that was kind of what Richard was saying when he said, um, the guy told him to just go hire that person and see what happens, right? It's because he was on the other side with this perspective, with the view of having already solved it. And you're on the side that you, that you haven't yet. And so you've got all of these fears, all of these what ifs, what if these I can't, but he, but he sees so clearly what the path is. And so here is my thing for you, Devin, is, is never take advice from somebody who hasn't done what you want though, right? Um, doesn't have a life that you switch yours for, but hear them when they give you great advice so that you can take it and take off and change your life right then. So mommy loves you for free. Um, all of you guys, I love you for free for listening. Thank you so much. Uh, please subscribe, share it, um, get it out, write down the advice. But I promise you, if at the end of this year, if you are not closer to your goal, closer to your own million dollar business, then um, damn, something is wrong.
you're just not implementing, right? So let's get after it. Ideas make you feel good, but implementation makes you money. Have a good one. See you, bye.